0: hey, I really think it's going to be higher than this in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I felt like options would be an effective financial tool to extend the returns for a limited uh, loss. Wow. And uh, I, not only that, I was, I was so bullish. I, I kind of uh, also mortgaged my house. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> uh, hey there. Welcome back to Toto's Notes. On this podcast, we'll explore how young adults invest their time and their money. I also have a newsletter filled with priceless insights for young investors. Subscribe for free at tolosnotes.com. Today's episode is a bit different. I'm having a conversation with Tad Park, one of the most concentrated investors I know. He made big bets on Tesla in 2019 that paid off handsomely. Now, he is creating a set of growth ETFs focused on disruptive tech companies so everyone can benefit from his thesis. We talked about the benefits of concentration, convexity, and the culture of innovation and disruption. Enjoyed the episode. All the material discussed in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It should not be taken as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an indication to buy or sell certain securities. My guest tonight do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of this information. As always, do your own research. Tad, how's it going man
0: hey hey tolu yeah it's great seeing you again
1: good seeing you it's been uh it's actually hasn't been that long i think we chatted uh, a few weeks ago right yeah yeah nice it's, welcome it's, to it's the show really nice. yeah 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 so um you're actually one of the first um one of the first subscribers to the newsletter and i think you're one of the more faith- faithful readers uh <laughs> in that uh no 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 seriously um, in that you actually, um, you read and you actually email me back and we actually have conversations about things I wrote. You know, we debate on things. You don't necessarily just agree with everything I write. Um, neither do you disagree with anything, everything I write. We just, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of nice to just have that, you know, uh, healthy uh, back and forth on things like that. So yeah, yeah. thanks for being one of the earlier uh, newsletter subscribers, man. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I, I just love um, that we were able to just kind of talk about things before mm-hmm. when we were you know just kind of getting coffee and things like that when in more normal times. Yeah, <laughs> those um,
1: those yeah. coffee walks we used to do to um, fields um, actually inspired me to start uh, Tolu's Notes. Um, yeah, so just in oh, case you didn't awesome. know. <laughs> oh wow, wow, wow! Yeah, so I was a. Yeah. Uh,
0: in the beginning, 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 not even just a, <laughs> 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 the news, because the conversation was so interesting. I felt like, you know, you know, people need to hear this more. This is like so great, like to have a very reasoned, uh, you know, thoughtful process to investing
1: Definitely. instead
0: of just like, oh, well, whatever. I, I don't know about investing, so I'm just going <laughs> to put it everywhere. And then
1: I think I think it's. Uh, Definitely a couple buckets to that. In that, there are some people who just don't care about it, and that's perfectly fine. If you don't care about it, it's yeah. good if you just automate it, let like someone else handle it for you. Um, but there's some who who want to care about it, but I don't think they're willing to, um, you know, just learn or even just have conversations mostly because, you know, if you like, we're going to have later today, I bet you're going to say things and I, that's not going to be my style, right? Or I'm going to say something that's not going to be, but like humans, I don't think we want people to disagree with us, right? It's really difficult for yeah. us to have conversations or for us to say, oh, I bought this stock at X price. And so, and when you tell someone else that, they kind of go, mm, I'm not sure if that's something. And then you start double, uh, you start like second guessing yourself. Yeah. And a lot of people don't like that, even though it's really healthy for people, to, especially investors. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, let's dive right into it, man. Um, sure. Tad, let's talk about Tesla. I feel like from the very beginning, I think you're the biggest Tesla bull I know in that even from all the YouTubers I watch, I don't think there's anyone who's as bullish in Tesla as you are. And that's because... You were, you were kind of there when no one believed in anything. Right. And you weren't just there. You weren't just there with like shares. You were there like with options. You, you placed an actual bet and you had this crazy conviction. So I think we've discussed this many times, but like, tell me what, what is it about Tesla that you believed in back then? Like, let's, let's just remind a bit. Like not what you know now, this was back when, um, the board, uh, told Elon, you know, you have to get to the share price. If not, you're not gonna get that pay- big payday and what, uh, so on and so forth. And a lot of people didn't think they were gonna hit their numbers. A lot of people didn't think they were gonna get there. Why did you believe in Tesla then?
0: Yeah, um, so I think that Tesla I felt like was uh, the biggest investment opportunity of my lifetime at that point. I- I've been following them for a while. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was just so, uh convinced of tesla i felt like it was my obligation uh just to help other people like i was telling everybody and like you you know you you were there but like i was telling not only people at work but uh, you know my family members people i knew friends everybody and they would just be like hey stop talking about this like (laughs) (laughs) I, i think some people like didn't even like me but like i knew that it was going to completely change things and whoever listened would be really appreciative for um, investing it in, in, in at that time. So I knew that at that time I would look crazy, but one day some people would thank me. And what I really liked is at work, at the very end, uh, some people did thank me um, that I made people aware of this really crazy stock uh, mm-hmm. that I felt was really gonna change the world and um, go up uh, in a short amount of time. So actually, um, a lot of that was after the autonomy day presentation, and that was um, in April. What was really weird is um, that presentation happened, and then the stock wouldn't keep getting hammered. <laughs> so, so there was a recent battery day presentation yeah. that happened a couple of days ago, um, and I think people just you know a lot of people gone to tesla just recently so they don't really remember that after each of these presentations like i'm not surprised when the stock goes down after presentation mm-hmm. um, this is actually quite a common experience that i've experienced <laughs> so like a uh, battery day stock went down but after autonomy day stock went down and wouldn't stop going down after a cyber truck reveal people were like what the heck is this stock went down um, each of these presentations the stock is going down And I think that, uh, of course, to the presentation, people are all excited, but um, one thing about Elon is that he really sucks at presenting. Like he stutters, all this stuff, like whatever. I think the, the big difference is with Apple, Steve Jobs was a presenter. Like he could get this vision in your brain, like he's very, very good at presenting and pausing and doing all that stuff, suspense. Elon's like really bad at all that stuff because he's more of an engineer than a presenter. And I think what that created was that he can say something world changing, but if people don't understand him, they just dismiss him as a crazy guy. And that created one of the greatest growth opportunities in this stock. Um, Basically, when he was talking about all the stuff about how autonomous driving works and all this other stuff. I was like, wow. Nvidia is like huge, oh, like, hun- like over 100 billion dollars, and mm. Tesla is only 50 billion dollars. But they created a chip that's superior to Nvidia, and they they have the technology with machine learning to actually like solve self-driving, which would make this a like trillion-dollar-plus company. Um, when I saw like all these things coming to a head, like and their technological advantage in batteries, technological advantage in like so many different things. Um, And that the world is going to go electric because it's a superior technology. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like there is no way that this will be valued the way it is. So during that time, news media was just hammering everything and saying, oh, this company is going to go bankrupt, et cetera, et cetera. But um, as long as the company is able to raise money, I feel like they can achieve their goal because they just have to survive long enough to raise the money. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, I thought in my mind they are not going to go bankrupt here and I specifically remember having lunchtime conversation I was talking about Tesla again with coworkers. it was at (laughs) 178 that was the bottom this is like it may never hit 200 again um, or be be below 200 again so so this was pre-split so it's about $50 a share Um, and they you know, of course a lot of people didn't believe me, but um, that was the bottom. And I think that uh, the reason was everyone saying it was going bankrupt. I knew for sure it's not going bankrupt. So it's actually a great option as well. So options are usually very risky and uh, I wouldn't recommend it unless someone really knows what I'm doing, knows what you're doing. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, (laughs) but but options are forgiving if you're on the really, really right side of the equation. Like if you're correct, then it can be forgiving if you didn't pick the right prices, the right strike price, all this yeah. other complicated stuff. Um, so I all I knew was, hey, I really think it's going to be higher than this in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I felt like options would be an effective financial tool to extend the returns for a limited uh, loss. Wow. And I, I, not only that, I was, I was so bullish. I, I kind of, uh, also mortgaged my house. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know,
1: that's, that's one of the funny parts that I, I knew. And I just, I, I wasn't sure if you would be willing to, <laughs> to share it because when you shared that news with me, I think the first thing that went through my head is like, make sure you don't tell your wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. okay, let's okay. This this just seems crazy because right now everyone, you know, anyone can say I told I told you so. Um, in re- retrospect, but you you again, I'm not saying this is a good investment by the way, and I'm gonna put a disclaimer yeah. all over the place just to make sure. Um, but what if things didn't go your way, right? Because you've um, you put up a mortgage in your house, uh, you were in with options, um, which definitely add expiration date. Um, there were a lot of things that could go wrong, right? You mentioned yep. that options are really forgiven. Uh, yep. The only thing that options are really strict about is that expiration and, and once it's done, it's done, right? So yep. there, there, there were a lot of things that could have gone wrong. What would you have done if things didn't go your way?
0: Yeah, so I, I think that's a really good point. I think that um, if I didn't have certain things in place, I wouldn't be able to risk. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm a big proponent of the fire movement and like very smart investments and stuff. And I was building up to that point for quite a while. Um, so I actually live in a, in a fourplex that I own and I have uh, income coming in from rent and I was, had an emergency fund and I had all these things in place already. Um, so, in any scenario, uh, even if I lost my job or anything, I wouldn't be in a hard scenario um, that I would have to, you know, mess up my retirement savings or, like, any, anything like that. So, in that, sen- you know, in that situation, the way I thought about it is, in the Silicon Valley, we take pay cuts all the time. Um, and we take pay cuts for options, essentially. So, these are options in world-changing companies. And if it goes crazy, um, basically, this is, you know, just how it works is that it really helps people and sometimes people retire early. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was an affordable risk because the uh, salary is high enough that you can afford like a 10% pay cut or whatever, or a 5% pay cut. So in my mind, I was thinking, hey, people use a home equity loan to do like really stupid stuff. I mean, in my opinion, Steve But I mean, they might think it's really fun to have like a car or a boat or like just random stuff that don't have any return, and then they just pay it off like a gigantic uh, credit card over time. So in my mind, it's like, hey, this is an investment that I really believe in. If I'm wrong, I, this is not unlike other trade-offs I've had in my career where I took a, a bit of a pay cut to be to have a piece of a world-changing company um and basically if i'm completely wrong and it goes bankrupt at least uh i'm only risking a small pay cut and i feel like because i've done really well as a software engineer i could keep working as a software engineer for for many decades i could easily pay this off um even if tesla went bankrupt so this is not a typical investment or like a, a wild investment in and that you know people are just like putting everything and on like a blackjack table or something like like that's not how I was viewing it I was viewing it as the expected value of this investment i believe is really really positive so it's worth it to put in as much of my expendable investment uh, allocation into this investment as possible and i viewed it kind of like a bc I'm um, not on a VC, but how software engineers join a company and they put a portion of co- uh, salary into the company, yeah. but without having to work at Tesla. So this was like the the best way to, without working your butt off at Tesla, ha- have a piece of Tesla. And actually, it's a lot bigger piece of Tesla than even an employee at Tesla would have um, if I was were able to approach it that way. And that's how I thought about it
1: have a piece of Tesla without dealing with Elon Musk. All right, smart. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, we're uh, moving on here. So that Tesla bet was really concentrated, right? Um, just in, the, in its nature. I think you mentioned uh, some comparisons to others, but most people uh, diversify, myself included. Uh, I, I hardly have enough conviction in a specific company to do as well. My convictions are with like the broader uh, market movements. Like I think you know some of it about like shorting retail at the beginning of the year, um, buying heavily with margin and mid margin things like that. Um, that anyone else who subscribed to the newsletter would know about. <laughs> um, but so I, I don't really target like specific companies. I just sort of look at either industries or um, or the entire market as a whole from a macro level. Uh, But you, you're you're one of the few that actually target uh, specific companies. So what does it mean to be a concentrated investor and why won't you just diversify?
0: Yeah, I think it's a a bit of a different mindset and a different risk tolerance. So if you think about um, all the billionaires that are out there, pretty much all of them are heavily, heavily concentrated in one or two stocks. And that one stock might be a company that they founded. But we don't hear of any billionaires that became billionaires because they were, you know, diversified in the S&P 500, or they were, you know, doing any, anything like that. Um, so it was a high conviction investment to have a big part of a world-changing company. Um, so I believe that it's necessary to concentrate in order to grow wealth but it's necessary to diversify, to preserve the wealth. Um, And in my stage of life, I am willing to take that bet as if I'm an entrepreneur starting a business and I'm willing to take a little bit more risk. um, Because I'm young, I can recover from a couple mistakes. And then at the end of life, if I want a very stable, low volatility investment profile, I can switch over at the end of life, um, right before retirement. Um, but for right now, I felt like this is how people grow wealth. And without risk, there isn't an ability to grow that wealth. And just because of my own investment goals, it's you know, not recommended for everybody. This is just my own, the way I thought about it. Um, it I wanted to increase my risk profile earlier on in life and then decrease the risk pro- profile later on.
1: Mark. And uh, this is this some of the things I write about on the newsletter, even though it's still not individual stock level. Um, but when you're young, I think it's the best time to just take a lot of risk, Uh, just seeing that you have time on your side. Um, okay. So moving on here, um, before we actually move on, what's next for Tesla? Where, where, where do you see the growth coming in? I think people, again, people have always said that stock has been overvalued its entire Uh, lifespan, Uh, uh, disclaimer, I'm not a Tesla shareholder, Um, but where do you, where do you see it going now? Because you're obviously still bullish on the, uh, on the company.
0: Yes. Um, So I'm not, uh, and none of this is investment advice, though I am a a shareholder. This is the way I view it when I do my own investments. Um, But basically I see world-changing companies like amazon and on this whole ride up to over a trillion dollars and things like that and they were saying that they were overvalued the entire way up by all the traditional financial metrics always overvalued um, but they were world changing and i think in the same way if you look at a disruptive company from the traditional financial lens it doesn't make sense because they are using those profits to grow and to set up the uh, infrastructure for world change, so you can't say, "Oh, this is the PE ratio; it seemed overvalued." All that stuff. None of that stuff applies to a disruptive growth company. Um, and that, that being said, even as an auto, it seems like it's a little overvalued because, you know, Toyota, Honda, GM, and Ford—all of those companies combined—is the same value as Tesla yeah. now. <laughs> um, so it's almost the entire auto auto industry. Mm-hmm. So you can argue, well, even if they execute and everyone's driving these things, you've hit your value. So there's no, the, you know, you can't get any higher than that. And I understand their viewpoint, but I think that if you view it as a, a as a technology company, it's completely different. Um, mm-hmm. They are in the midst of unlocking so many technologies and, they are going to be the backbone and the leader of the electric car revolution. And not only that, I think the most promising aspect is autonomous cars. So right now, yes, they're ahead in electric vehicles. Yes, they're ahead in all these things. That's why Wall Street is still pricing them around the current price, maybe about 30% lower. But they're in the ballpark of the current price because they're a leader in, in this field. What they are not pricing in, in my opinion, is what value would be unlocked when autonomous cars come into the picture. So if you look at Apple, Apple is a $2 trillion company right now. They sell these, you know, $1,000 phones. And yes, there's recurring income from the apps that you buy and the app store and things like that. Um, Their margins are pretty healthy, like over, over 35%. But, you know, in the end of the day, they are a, hardware software combination uh, selling mainly thousand dollar phones and they're two trillion dollars with healthy margins right now imagine a world with autonomous cars Uh, you're not selling thousand dollar phones you're selling cars that are twenty five thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars and imagine applying healthy margins on top of that Um, and those healthy margins are possible if you charge on a recurring basis because of the autonomous car, that the car is driving itself. And because you're the software platform, you can charge that on a recurring basis. So once that's unblocked, is it really overvalued? Like, is it really overvalued to be in the trillion or over a trillion or in the trillions? Um, I would say that at that time, people would view it as pretty affordable for the service that they provide and what they're providing society. Um, and that unlock has not happened yet um, because that will unlock incredible value. So it's a critical question to answer whether they are on track to unlock this technological breakthrough or not. And that, that is what I want to provide to the world. Um, with awesome. my. You
1: know, I, I want to I move on so bad, but like, there's so much to touch on, so I really hope yeah. you have some time. So are you familiar with the diffusion of innovation, the chart? Where you have things just imagine exactly at yeah. the Bitcoin chart That's the yeah. exact diffusion of your innovation chart where no one knows about something you get some early adopters and then there's like hype Yeah, there's like overvaluation and then there's like a crash all the way back down And then things kind of stable back up and things uh, move on from there so yeah. with that in mind and that's how a lot of technology uh, happened. with the internet also the 1999 tech bubble was the hype uh, yeah. spot. For Bitcoin, that was when it reached, uh, what is it, 19,000 or whatever it reached. And don't you feel like for self-driving cars, Tesla, whatever, there's going to be that bubble slash hype phase? I'm not saying that the company won't make it. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what they're trying to do. Their are to humanity as a whole. Yes. But don't you feel like just because uh, it's human nature to be greedy and we're never at any equilibrium... Aren't you scared that we're eventually going to drive up that price all the way to the overvaluation level? Then it will come crashing back down before the true nature of the stock, before we actually see what Tesla truly is or autonomous driving or um, the uh, auto taxis, whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this is an interesting question that you bring up because I actually... um, am pretty involved in launching these funds. Um, so I'm, I'm launching funds uh, with the company or the company that I started is called Bolt Equity. And one of the things that we apply is this concept of convexity. And it's specifically for that. Usually disruptive companies, they're not quite understood by society. And the stock movements can be very, very sudden. And uh, it can just be very disorienting. But it actually produces a lot of Uh, financial opportunity in the derivatives market so like things when you use options and things like that. So basically with this concept of convexity you can protect against the downside when it does crash. We actually expect for these contentious like battleground stocks before people fully understand them to have a pretty wild ride and the way that you can invest in that is with convexity. If the stock moves really fast up you can move faster than that because there's options and the options do not price in that a company will be disruptive they think that the company will just be as it was before so you can get options for cheaper than what it affords you if they are disruptive and when it crashes you can have protection because other people are not expecting the crash it's possible to have some protection from a broad market crash, so that if it tanks, you have a little bit of protection on that side as well. Okay. And, and of course, not, nothing's free, so yeah. there's a cost to carry to these options.
1: Yeah, there's, I, there's definitely a lot to unpack there, but yeah, what, what I'm understanding now is that you're, you have both calls and puts, um, so you're riding the momentum all the way up but then you're also trying to uh, protect yourself against the momentum crash at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is, that, is that a correct uh, assumption?
0: Yes. Um, it's just not from, like the, the thing is, if it was a, a, it's it's possible to achieve convexity with like no foresight Uh, whatsoever. Like you could just do it on any stock out there, right? So you can just buy calls on the way up, puts on the way down, and it just basically washes out because it goes by the the market movement. Actually, you would lose money because nothing would happen really. Like you would kind of gain a little bit, kind of lose a little bit, and then you'd kind of lose money over time because you have to pay for these premiums. Yeah. Now, now when it, gets really effective is if you view it as an insurance premium. So if you put a very small po- exposure to options and the market did not price it in as a world-changing company, you can have really outsized exposure to this upside. Um, at, as an example, I put in into my own option software, uh, I use eTrade and I have this like power terminal and things like that. Uh, they they said it was like a 1% chance that Tesla would be above a thousand or, or something like that um, by the end of this year. So at, at COVID, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure that this can recover. And I was basing it on like many, many different things. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess not, not not right now, but I was like looking at the you know, logarithmic chart as opposed to linear chart. And I was like, okay, millions are not going to die So then there is actually more than a 1% chance that the Tesla stock is gonna recover. So I spent $3,000 for an $1,800 call option. And then, you know, recently that was worth $700,000. So something that I put in $3,000 for became worth $700,000. That's the asymmetric return. Um, And now imagine if you had a very big portfolio by only risking a small premium that's completely, like, this. so underpriced for the true probability of it hitting that price. So the market thinks it's a 1% chance that it's going to hit that price. That's why they're willing to sell it to you for $3,000. But imagine if the true probability was 30% that it would hit that price. Then actually, that's really, really cheap. So if you apply this options overlay, as long as the company is disruptive, you can supercharge your returns. And this is so different from other types of investing out there. Um, Normally when people introduce options and things like that in a fund context, it's uh, leverage. So it's super easy to borrow a hundred bucks when you have a hundred bucks and double your return, but you're actually doubling your risk as well. Because when it goes down, it goes down twice as hard and you have like risk of bankruptcy and all this crazy stuff, right? So super easy to like ramp up the borrowing and ramping up the risk. It's really hard to increase the return while keeping the risk managed and and that's when it would be really really uh, interesting opportunity and that's what convexity unlocks is that this is not a pure leverage product it's meant for people who are going to hold it long-term and long-term growth investors but also adding this layer of disruptive convexity um, that you're being able to supercharge companies if they truly are disruptive because it's not priced in into the market
1: okay so this this won't work with just any company right because if a company is growing at the exactly at the expected rate your options would never make you any money
0: yes exactly so this, you you, okay. you would actually lose money so okay. uh it's only if the thesis is correct that it is a the very well. In the time period, right? It has yes. to be
1: correct in that It has to be correct and realized in the time period. Yes.
0: Exactly.
1: Okay. So, uh, and and that's just a warning um, for anyone thinking of doing this with a spy. Is that or like the S and P five hundred? Is that the S and P five hundred is really, it, it the expected uh, volatility that usually is the case, and something like what you just mentioned would work in a black swan events. Uh, in a black swan event like the uh, coronavirus, but uh, nine times out of 10, you're just losing money. If you use something like this on the S&P 500.
0: Yeah, um, if I could kind of go on that. <laughs> I, oh, I definitely, don't... definitely. Yeah, so we this is not related to the funds that I'm planning to launch and bring to market, but um, mm-hmm. some of the partners that I work with, mm-hmm. their, their simplify asset management, they have normal convexity, not disruptive convexity. Um so the, they're helping me achieve it invest convexity in my own portfolios and my own funds but they have normal convexity over the s and p five hundred. so you would think that putting an options overlay would be not worth it and it just all is a wash because it's very expected um, but amazingly, like in the in their own like it, this is all hypothetical you know past results do not uh, guarantee yeah. future returns but when they did a lot of rigorous backtesting over many different time periods they were able to greatly exceed the return of the S&P 500 Um, and those drops were completely unexpected by the market and they were able to get it so that the portfolio did not drop that much uh, if at all sometimes even positive depending on the severity of the drop during those crashes so if there was a cra- there was a crash in year 2000, there's a year crash in 2008 and then th- this crash in two- 2020.
1: Yeah.
0: Um just those crashes happening like once every 10 years or something allows you to pay the value of that insurance and greatly exceed the returns of uh, the S&P 500 and yeah. I was very confused on how that was possible because you would think that it's all priced in for something as well known as the S&P 500. And I think it's the concept of um, humans doing things that are not correct uh, because of psychology, and you being someone who always does the correct systematic move according to all of history and society. So how this would work is, like you were saying, it's totally correct. Someone tries to do this themselves. um, Because of psychology, they might do it wrong, actually. Unless you have this really crazy uh, system and like algorithms and all that stuff, most likely it's not the correct way to do it um, in the sense that they think in their mind they bought a put option and it keeps expiring worthless, right? And it's actually 95% chance that it's going to expire worthless. So you're thinking in your mind, do I want to, I didn't hit my price target So do I want to make $1,000 by selling this put option and closing it out right now? Or do I want to hold it to expiration um, and make it expire worthless? Mm -hmm. So over time, they're training their brain that 90% of the time it's expiring worthless. So they're training their brain to constantly sell it uh, Mm -hmm. before it expires. But what this creates in the market is humans are actually making the wrong decision because they're not also factoring in the probability of a crash and then when you also factor in the probability of crash that might actually be a very cheap option for the insurance value that it provides so if you're systematically doing it in a system then it might actually allow you to save yourself from a crazy crash and get outsized performance over long periods of time so in the short term yeah there's all these day traders and all that stuff but they're, they're not thinking about the probability of these like crazy events. Um, So then that depresses the price of the protection and you can buy the cheap protection um, as insurance. So this is not a a pure leverage play. This is an insurance play. And I believe that Simplify is at the forefront of that. And and they're first to market in this disruptive uh, financial product where they can treat options like insurance and buy up these cheap options that, you know, 90% of the time will expire worthless, but um, in all of their back tests have proven very promising to um, Exceed returns and be better than holding bonds. Gotcha. The so, protection it provides.
1: so I'm not, I'm not fully familiar with um, simplify or what they what they do. But let me see if I can share my screen right now. And I'm sorry for those listening on this through Spotify; they're not gonna see this. So this is a uh, spy, yeah, and uh, CBOE as this index called. Uh, it's just P put, and yeah. what they do is they monthly they take five um, percent of the portfolio and they buy. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's 5% of the portfolio, but they buy 5% uh, out of the money um, puts with this. And this, so this is the performance over like a long period of time. Let me see if I click on the all chart, you can see uh, since its, it's inception, mm-hmm. the put would have outperformed risk in recent history. So, if I, so here today it outperforms, you can see that's exactly when COVID hit uh, mm-hmm. and that's when the outperformance started. But what, um, so I, I, I was reading this on uh, AQR and what they found out was that it underperforms the S&P on average by 4% over, I think a 20 year period. And they said doing this is really equivalent to just holding less than 40% equity and throwing 60% of your of the rest of your portfolio in just cash, you would have matched the returns of this, just like 5% out the money. Obviously, I don't know what Simplify is doing, but this is just how this uh, is designed. And what they found out is that this is, uh, the outperformance is due to two things. And the first is the negative equity beta. Obviously, once you're selling, I mean, once you're selling some of your portfolio to buy puts, you're selling out of stocks. So you have like a negative beta. Uh, Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because that also reduces your risk So we can kind of ignore that and it's like, oh, less equity, less risk, let's just kind of ignore that But what out is like the second one is due to the volatility uh, risk premium And this is the premium the people who sell the put Are Mm -hmm. collecting every time you buy the put from them So uh, I'm not, I'm not, so this, obviously this doesn't work We can, uh, we can see that it'll work this year but this is a black swan here that occurs, let's say, you know, very rarely.
0: So, how, how much has it outperformed in the past seven years, for example? So, I
1: don't have like the seven year chart. I have like the all, but it's kind of misleading because uh, uh, there's Okay, chart so is e- pretty even big. even five years, how? how so, is five it? years, it's uh, 79% versus 29, so about 20% uh, over. From just from just from COVID. So no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying something like this doesn't work. Uh, what I'm really just saying is that this, the most important part of this is the human psychology, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think simplify also launched ETFs, right? Yes. So once COVID hits (laughs) and things, uh, everything starts tank uh, tanking. Yeah. There are people who may sell simplified, even though it may be the only thing that's green. They'll sell it just because the entire market is going down. Right? Because human psychology works that way in that it doesn't matter what's going on at that moment. The, everything that's, that your brain just goes to, let me just conserve cash. Let me stop losing money. So you sell what's up, you sell what's down. It doesn't really matter. You just want to get out of everything once everything is tanking. Yeah. Or... If Simplify, I, I, they launched an ECF, I'm not sure if they're an hedge fund. But like I, I think I've written about this multiple times. But so as much as this is designed to work, if you just forget that you have it and you just let it do its own thing, every okay. 10 years, we have a Black Swan event. Um, there's like a, a fat tail distribution. Something happens, you make money. But you have to be willing to go through nine years of underperforming. Right. Yeah. For for, so, you, for this to be able to work.
0: Yeah. Um, well, unless you have a one percent call and a one percent put, then mm-hmm. you you also overperform during the um, the bull market and mm-hmm. during the crash, in both scenarios. So that that would be convexity, which is kind of counter counterintuitive that you can actually uh, exceed the value of the premium uh, for both of those things. Gotcha. Uh, and that's, that's only, I I shared an article in the chat, but it's, uh, only if you're buying it very affordably. Gotcha. So, um, I think it really matters. You can't just say, I'm going to blindly buy puts, uh, that are 5% or X amount out of the money. And then Mm -hmm. that's my ETF. Um, these are like people who are very, very good and they are using a lot of brain power to basically act like an insurance company so it matters what kind of risk premium they assign each person when a like a car insurance company like Geico assesses you as a driver yeah if they get that risk number wrong uh, they'll go bankrupt so they're very very good at assigning what the expected value is and doing the right move over and over and over over many many people and that's how they're able to be a very very strong profitable company so in the same way instead of doing random contracts and saying, hey, you guys all get the same uh, insurance premium for driving all across the board across the entire nation, if they're very wise about it and make sure that it's very cheap, they can um, really like use this as a tool to have outsized protection for the amount that you're risking. Uh, For SPYC, it's only risking 2% of their portfolio, 1% for puts, 1% for calls, but yet they're able to have outsized performance in the past. Uh, you know, it, this is all, of course, all hypothetical, yeah. but in this blog article, I, I shared with you, uh, between 2007 to 2020, the benchmark return is hypothetically 200% for the S&P 500. But this strategy has a 500, over a 500% return in the same period
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, with less
1: volatility. So okay. let me, let me share Let me share just so those that are watching on video uh, on YouTube can also see this. So this, this is the article you just shared. I'm seeing this for the first time. I haven't read it yet. Uh-huh. Um, but what you're saying, so this is what you're pointing to in that. So they, they were able to be, uh, the S and P 500, um, volatility is also lower and some people view volatility as a short term risk. Um, So I see that maximum drawdown as thirty-six. It's lower as well. So you won't be, uh, you won't be, you know, the hurt doesn't feel as painful, right? Yeah. So you know, uh, this fund expects a huge black swan-like crash, drop, whatever you want to call it. Every Mm -hmm. let's let's just say they time it for every ten years. That's kind of on average what what happens. Um, yeah, so what just happens if we go if we have like a long period of just outperformance? Are you still saying this fund yeah. uh, outperforms even with uh, even when the SP 500 does well? Because I'm looking at the chart here and I ah. see in, sh- should, did I stop sharing again? I need to just keep it on. In 2019, for example, Uh, which I I think the S&P probably returned, what is it, 30% or something crazy like that. The fund uh, underperformed in 2018, where we actually had, there was a drop at the end of 2018, but the drop wasn't big enough, uh, I'm guessing. So the fund also underperformed. It underperformed in 2017. In yes. underperformed in 2016, so this is this is the underperformance I'm talking about. In that, yes, exactly. there are a lot of people that won't be able to stick with something like this, even though something like 2020, there's this insane uh, uh, asymmetric return that they would have profited from.
0: Yes, yes, uh, and I I'm really appreciative that you point that out. Um, that it's sometimes people misunderstand it and say, "Hey, uh, the S&P 500 went down." like 0.68% today, why is this fund down slightly more? <laughs> it's supposed to save me from all downturns and all up upswings, it's supposed to be like better in every single way, but it's like, no, that's not how it works. It, if you do compound returns, it's better compound returns. So imagine you have like, you know, just one event where it's like crashes everything. That can completely kill your portfolio and you have to start over again but imagine that was not a reset for you. Then when you multiply each year's return over time, over a long period of time, uh, your overall return will be a lot better um, by just having some protection. Um, this is hi- all, all hypothetical, but that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. And that is what people do for bonds actually. So right now, um, sometimes you know traditional portfolio manager a uh, money manager would recommend like a 60-40 mix, 60% stocks, 40% bonds for those times where, um, you know, things crash and stuff, because the bonds are returning, you know, 3-4% or something, it doesn't matter because less of your portfolio was exposed to the crash. So that's like a typical mo- uh, normal portfolio theory. This is applying modern portfolio theory. So I mean, we're not even talking about current environment where bond returns suck and they're like less than 2% and interest rates are all time lows. Um, The previous way of thinking about protecting a portfolio may not uh, apply anymore because the interest rates are so low, but assuming that the interest rates are normal. um, This might be able to give you outsized performance because yes, you are underperforming by worst case scenario 2%. Because it's 98% SPY, 2% insurance. Say it's a worst case scenario, everything's always flat, you're always underperforming by 2%, and all, it's always expiring.
1: Right? Oh, but, oh sorry, uh, you broke off for a bit. Um, uh, you're always aspiring. Could you uh, repeat that part? Uh,
0: so you're only exposing yourself to the 2% premium yeah. uh, in a normal. What kind of like worst case scenario where the markets are flat. Right. Gotcha. But then yeah. when the markets are, um, but, but then for bonds, how does that work? I mean, you keep the 40% bonds and later in retirement, it's like 60% bonds or whatever that is Yeah. because the market might crash. And what is that differential? The differential is huge. Now, instead of the S and P 500, 10% return, the bonds return is 1% right so instead of having this huge cost of carry which is having bonds in your portfolio what if you can remain in the market and yes it's a little bit less return than S&P 500 but you're getting that protection that the bonds would have provided you as a better alternative to um you know keeping stocks and bonds I see.
1: so So it's like
0: a creative way of getting the same protection and having more exposure to the market.
1: And more exposure to. It. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, this it, is. It, this it's, is... Not, it's not
0: meant for everybody. It's it's actually meant for like, um, uh, actually like asset managers. So they're yeah. targeting asset managers who will know. <laughs> hey, if it crashes, don't sell this because that's what this product De- is meant definitely. for.
1: Definitely. So, like, <laughs> if you can, if you can, um, uh, if you can get me on some uh, some white papers or some of the studies they've done with like actual data. I promise not to share it, but I would just love to like nerd out uh, and to read what they uh, what they're doing with this.
0: So yeah, yeah, we, we can talk about that later. Yeah,
1: definitely. So moving on from this, how are you using this in a uh, vote equity? So I, I see this complexity um, and using this puts and then uh, the um, the call and that 2% uh, that you're yep. putting aside for these options. Yes. How are you going to yeah. use that in the funds that you're launching?
0: So, uh, for the funds that I'm launching, it's not going to be, you know, 2% or, or whatever, it's, it's a different market. Um, so it will be probably a higher options percentage. Um, but I think that the concept of convexity and the execution of it, I don't think there are other partners that are as good as the people who invented the thing, like invented this new way of having protection and supercharging the upside in a very systematic way. Uh, like one of the people, who is a co-founder of Simplify, David Burns. He was an MIT um, PhD in quantum computing. Like, you know, options are really complicated, but like there's there's linear algebra, all this crazy stuff, decay, a lot of things to consider. Normal person um, doesn't keep all that in their brain. Um, So to do it very systematically, you have to take into account many different things. So he's doing all of that systematically with software, all that stuff. very amazing team. Also another person, he, uh, Paul, he's one of the co-founders and he started ETFs, like billion dollar ETFs. And then David risk managed four dollar funds. Mm. So this is like a very solid execution of options. This is not some blind, like, I'm just going to do uh, 10% out of the money puts and yeah, do it forever, uh, definitely. kind of strategy. This is a very thoughtful execution of convexity and Um, It's applying it in a new way. So this is already first to market product of convexity. Now it's putting this first to market idea onto disruption. Um, And remember, if things move as expected, um, it will slightly underperform by the cost of carry, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And if everything's flat and like nothing happens to the market, it performs normally. So the idea is what if there's a partnership between Volt Equity, my, my company that comes up with the growth companies to invest in, and there's a partnership with Simplify that applies this proprietary technology to super, supercharge certain investments. It's, it's like a great, like it's like a match made in heaven because, <laughs> <laughs> because convexity goes even crazier if it moves unexpectedly. So you're picking stocks that you think will move unexpectedly, so you can get outsized exposure to the upside for a very limited amount that you're putting in. So, so w- one thing about the way that um, I was investing, yes, I was very bullish about Tesla, um, but I also was in cash for a lot of that run up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I exceeded the 10X, But I was in cash for, I I guess, many, many different reasons. Um, I think it was because I was also starting this company and I intend to invest a lot of this into this company. Um, But I was able to gain the, like, I did over 10X uh, because of options, but I did still have exposure to the upside for a very limited amount of money. So even though I might have been, in you know a certain amount of cash or like other investments stuff like that, I still uh, got the return as if I was a hundred percent into Tesla, mm-hmm. um, and of course it was majority Tesla, but it was as if I was purely hundred percent Tesla and more than that because I had a small options uh, exposure, and like I was saying about that thing that you buy for you know three thousand dollars and then if yeah. that works out then it's a huge outsized return. Yeah. Um, just a couple of those options can give you exposure to the upside if placed correctly, right? So um, I think that was really attractive to me because I don't have to risk losing everything. Hmm. Um, I only have to risk losing a small portion of my portfolio. I can lock in these massive gains that I had, but still have uh, exposure to this upside if this company is indeed disruptive. Because at that all the way up, people were like, this is a bubble, this is a bubble, this is a bubble, there's no way it's going to keep going up. But in my mind, I'm like, there's a real possibility it's going to keep going up and it's more than 1% or whatever the market is saying yeah. the probability is. So I, I get that exposure, exposure, exposure while limiting it to a smaller portion of my portfolio so that um, even if I had a positive expected value and it crashes or something, um, my portfolio is not ruined, right? So, so you get like, a, for the risk that you're taking, you can get outsized, uh, you know, returns. And Remember when I found Simplify, returns. they were like, hey, by the way, we're doing this, right? It, it was it was a stealth company. Yeah. So I just signed up for, you know, random reason why I was talking to the founder. He didn't say <laughs> what he was doing. And then I explained my story and it was just like, dude, this is convexity. Like I was already a convexity investor and they were bringing a first-to-market convexity product and then it just became a partnership. We weren't even uh, intending that. And wow. yeah, so it's, it's kind of an kind of interesting story.
1: That's, yeah. that's, that's really fascinating, man. Awesome. Let's, uh, let's move on. That was really great. So we would like to focus on more, um, I guess, market-specific stuff. For example, um, you are, you're a growth investor, right? Yes. Um, did you read the latest newsletter I sent out? Yeah. Um, sort of like the letter to growth. Okay, I see you smiling already. Okay. Uh, for, those, for those who didn't get to read it, it was basically seeing uh, the, the recent uh, outperformance of growth versus value uh, and seeing how usually value performs growth but in the last 10 years, uh, growth has really outperformed value by a lot. And it's, it's not, it's all growth, but mostly just large cap growth. And all of the wealth created creation is just concentrated between a few large cap um, growth companies. And the newsletter was basically saying to diversify into uh, small value as well, uh, just to get like a full exposure to the market. So as a growth investor, What's your conviction and why do you just believe that growth will continue to outperform value for the foreseeable future?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a that's a really good question. And I, I understand the uh, viewpoint that people are coming from. And it's a very, very common viewpoint, right? This has worked for a long, long time. Uh, I mean, just look at Warren Buffett's, you know, returns. It's been amazing. And it's absolutely amazing. But in the past 10 years, I don't think he's really been beating the S&P 500, but for the vast majority of his career, he was like really spot on on doing this value investing. Um, and I think that this recent surge of growth investing, exceeding value investing is not a fluke because one perspective is you can view it as cyclical. So therefore, these value stocks are super cheap and now's the time to pour into value stocks, or you can view it as a paradigm shift. And everything that was correct before is not correct anymore. Just because the stock price seems cheap, uh, it's actually a trap. It may not actually be cheap because they're gonna be disruptive. So do do you want all the media companies, including all the newspapers that are gonna go out of business? Or do you wanna focus on these crazy companies that are the future growth and their numbers don't make sense right now, but they will in five years kind of companies and be part of the future? And for me, I want to be part of that future. And I believe that there's going to be a crazy disruption and continue to have disrupted industries going into this next decade. And, um, the way that looks, especially with technology is AI is going to change everything. So like the way AI works is the more data you get, the better AI works. Like people are not, uh, programming everything by hand anymore. There's been such an upsurge in the power of AI and the potential of AI that hasn't even been uh, scratched yet. So the reason why Alexa and Siri and all these things came out is it was like, a, like this. I mean, people can't see this on, on Spotify, but it was <laughs> straight vertical because it was um, really, really crappy voice recognition for a long, 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 long time. And suddenly the quality of voice recognition just went shot right up. And that was because it was not programmed as an if else in programming language, it was trained in AI. And AI is now to the point where if you feed it enough data, it will just understand. Mm -hmm. This is why Google gets better and better every time someone searches for something, it kind of knows what you want to look for. And it's really hard to start a search engine today as opposed to before, even if you have a lot of funding. Now, what this means for the investment world Is that these companies that are very big people can say oh they're so big it's going to cycle out well that paradigm may not hold true if ai helps them secure that advantage so when you look at this new landscape um, just because they're big doesn't mean that they can't keep growing bigger like like amazon and get better and better and more relevant results it all depends on their technology infrastructure uh, of course, there are some overvalued growth stocks that the general market do not understand. Like they don't use AI, they don't do all the stuff. It's very yeah. easy to recreate their tech, um, but they still pay a ton for it. Um, so
1: so but yeah, something that you did bring up is that just because these companies are big now, doesn't mean they won't be big in the future. I completely agree with that. But size does not equal return, right? So if Amazon is big today, this is just an example, by the way. So let me just yeah. say, if a company, sorry, if a company is big today and a company is big in 2030, so this has been recorded in 2020, the company is big in 2020 and the company is still really relatively just huge in uh, 2030, that doesn't mean that company is outperformed the market between that decade, right? There, yeah. there are huge companies that have just not outperformed. So... It, and I think my initial question was like, why you thought uh, growth companies would remain uh, big. But I guess the real question should be, why do you think growth companies will continue to give those same kind of outsized returns?
0: I, I think you come up upon a very important point. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that just because you're big, you automatically have this advantage. You can keep growing. I mean, it might, like you're sharing, underperform the broader base index, and for a lot of reasons, because of bureaucracy, because of all the stuff, they're just too, too slow to move or innovate or do anything. Um, so it usually ends up being pretty unattractive investments. Now, just because they are big does not mean that they are infested with uh, bureaucracy, though. So um, there are a lot of companies that hit 100 million and then they just stay there zombie like for years and there's a lot of companies that hit 1 billion and the same thing happens 2 billion 50 billion same thing but yet uh companies like amazon they've kept growing and now they're over a trillion dollars and the reason is like you see them like oh they're now going into this oh they're now going into this and they're like disrupting left and right and you look at their culture and it's a culture of innovation so the key to amazon is that culture where they're always questioning the status quo. Like they, they, take, they take the head of books, right? And then they make him the head of Kindle and say, hey, the future is digital. You disrupt your previous industry. You know everything about print books, but now you're head of this and make it uh, disruptive. And they have that kind of culture. Now, now, will a big, stodgy, normal company that is resting on their laurels think that way? They wouldn't think that way. But Amazon does. And that's why they were able to sustain that growth over deck over decades is because it's internal to the culture. Now, some col- some companies, they're one and done. They had an innovative idea, but then it just kind of dies off like the founder's not there or whatever, and they don't continue to innovate. And then they sap out all the gains from that one idea until it's dry and they slowly lose market share to the innovators. So it's really important for disruptive companies to identify are these disruptive companies? um, Do they have groundbreaking ideas? But not only that, more importantly, are they innovative and have a well of innovation that they can continue to apply to more and more problems to continue to feed into this growth? So yes, within large caps, there's a lot of traps where they're continuing to lose market share slowly and bleed dry because of bureaucracy. And there Mm -hmm. are some large caps, for example, Tesla, that continue to innovate. And there's a lot of fields to disrupt that they're continuing to look toward that will continue to feed them and allow them to get a bigger market cap. Um, I'm probably butchering this quote, but uh, someone said that diversification is kind of like a ig- ignorance, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, if you don't know what it is, then just invest in everything, right? And that's like one way to approach it. but What if you actually thought that certain investments are better than others, right? And I think that's even Warren Buffett, the quintessential like awesome value investor thinks that way, that there are some companies that are way stronger than others. And basically 20 stocks propelled his entire portfolio to this crazy valuation right now. So he he concentrates, actually, that's a very concentrated for typical approach to this. Um, Yes, if you buy the whole basket, it's going to crash. So in the dot-com crash, if you bought Cisco, for example, it crashed like 90%, and it actually never recovered to the highs of of, uh, that crash, of the peak. So that's super scary, right? Um, But if you look at Amazon, it also crashed 90%, but it's way exceeded the peak of uh, the 2000s. So... I believe that it's very important to be thinking about why it's moving up because there's gonna be a lot of people who are investing just because it's moving up, including pumping up very poor stocks that like make no sense even in the growth world. So um, for example, Nikola and stuff, everyone was uh, you know pumping it up to multi-billion dollar valuation because they don't understand that they don't actually have any technology. But if you and analyze These companies, you would think that Tesla and Nikola are complete worlds apart, and there's no way why Nikola should be worth billions of dollars because they have nothing proprietary about what they're doing.
1: I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm also saying you're a Tesla bull. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: tiche, tiche. But 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 all I'm saying is uh, people are just investing everything into electric uh, electric anything nowadays in the current climate that we're in. But then. I don't think that's a good idea. Even in the short term, you might be thinking that it's outperforming because it's momentum. Uh, But I mean, like you were saying, when it cycles away, uh, a lot of the weaker companies are going to go away. So what I'm saying the value in is there might be value in systematically, very thoughtfully picking very strong companies and anchoring on that, looking at their culture. Do they have innovation? Do they have all these things? All these things that are consistent with disruption. Mm-hmm. Like we, we've, you know, kind of shared common work experience with disruptive company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that. So if they have the culture that's consistent with disruption uh, in the long run, I mean, that's very, very attractive. So there is a value to actively kind of picking that. Or I, I believe that there is um, and that's totally different from just picking the whole basket of whatever is moving.
1: The there's, 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 there's some weight to that. Awesome, man. Um, yeah, just wrapping up here. I've taken quite a bit of your time. What to you makes a successful investment? What makes
0: a successful investment or investor?
1: Investment.
0: Oh, investment. Um, I think it actually, in a lot of cases, depends on your life situation, right? So, um, I mean, no, I'm, not, I'm not like an investment advisor to any people or anything, but like basically, it, the way I view it is uh, you know, if you're like really young in life, that may be completely different than you're a year away from retirement and you're about to move into the house in like Florida or something. So the goals are different. The, you know, your risk tolerance might be different. It's not, I don't view that investors as a particular type of person, like, oh, they've got a certain risk profile forever or certain things forever. Like certain things might afford them what they need um, in that stage in life. Now for an investment, they all have different behaviors, right? So growth stocks have completely different behaviors than value stocks bonds have different behaviors and they all have different needs and things that they're very good at for those particular things. And some might be appropriate versus others. Um, Now, if you're maximizing for long-term return, then yeah, what, what stock is maximizing for long-term return? And I would argue that growth stocks are pretty, um, if, if you're in the midst of a technological revolution, uh, could be pretty attractive, um, and people can argue. Well, you get dividends with these other stocks that are stable, but you know the the stock price kind of goes down exactly by the amount of the dividend. It's kind of <laughs> priced in, you know. So um, if you look at the total return, I mean, I, I think if there's a changing of the guard coming, then it's good to be ahead of that trend, and be part of the future.
1: Awesome. What are some must read books? Uh, what are your top three top three books you'd recommend everyone read? Um
0: so this is this is really weird. Uh the growth investors they tend not to like books from um value <laughs> investors. <laughs> But I, I actually enjoyed reading Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Um, that's
1: that's the number one book on the show, and I feel like ever, but I've uh-huh. actually never read that.
0: Book. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a, a lot of it is actually not relevant. Like, there's a lot of things that, <laughs> about these companies that it's like, I don't know what this company is. You know? But I think the whole idea of, hey, the way I take it, what I take away from it is, you can be ahead of the market if you use Very smart analysis. So, if you, um, I mean, that even if you're a value investor, it's same thing holds true. It's not like there's amazing opportunities in value right now, you know. Um, But say the whole entire you know market is like really disparaging a particular stock, but you know from the fundamentals and just by the cash balance itself, it's worth like five times more. Then it totally makes sense to purchase it right now. You know, stock market is a voting machine, but in the long term, it's a weighing machine. And if it's a, if it's a solid company, uh, you actually preempted the market by getting in early. Now that kind of thinking can also apply to growth investment that the market does not understand it because there's all the psychology involved and all this stuff, but you know that this is undervalued and you still invest. Of course, we're a different set of criteria. It's not because of balance sheets, not because of PE ratios, different things, but, um, you still think about it the same way. So in that way, I like, uh, intelligent investor I also like a uh, recent book psychology of money I thought it was pretty interesting
1: okay
0: I, I just uh I just like how it talks about psychology and, and there's a big part of psychology in investing yes. um, and that's super important like just I've experienced for myself how much it can affect my own thinking my emotions and everything you know mm-hmm. and like you were mentioning in your in your article like even though you know that something is the right decision over 30 years when you're in the thick of it like you think that the world is ending it's very easy to sell uh, press the sell button you know yeah. um so i guess it's kind of good to know um how everyone behaves including ourselves like we're tempted for a lot of things yeah. and you have to ground yourself in knowing like what's actually going on when things are going on and that's why i really like your your um, notes is that Thank you. you talk about <laughs> that you know <laughs> like, like uh, very very few people talk talk about that that it's not just theory but it's about living it out in real life
1: I think people who only read investing finance or economics books are typically make really bad investors because you don't understand how people work And for me, I think those books are really important and I enjoy them, but people are at the core of everything. If you can figure out how people behave, you know, all investments might change, companies may change, market conditions may change. People stay the same. It takes us millions and millions of years of evolution to change. So through your lifetime, the only constant thing would be people. And if you can just understand how people act, and honestly, all the bets. So usually, I'm a pretty typical. Um, uh, well, I would say I'm typical. Like I use a lot of options and stuff. Like that. So I won't say I'm like you know the typical investor. But some of the craziest bets I've placed and I've been profitable. I've just I've just come out from understanding the psychology of people. Right. A lot of people look at the market conditions. They look at everything. Sure, those are all important. But ultimately, what helps me make my final decision is just behavior, and how I feel like people would either overreact, underreact, or you know what, what, what people may be thinking at that very moment, and even if it's true or not. So thank you, I, I'm really glad that you find the, uh, the newsletter um, useful. Do you know of any young investor or someone that others can learn from that should be on this show?
0: yeah um like a like a another type of investor that could be on the show i think um uh i i really like uh galileo russell um from hyperchange so i think that he's really good in epitomizing like what is so groundbreaking about like Tesla, for example, mm-hmm. and I, I know I know it might seem like kind of, oh yeah, going on Tesla horse again, but oh, no, 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 I, definitely. I think it's it applies to many different growth investments, like the way that um, he thinks about things, yeah, like uh, that the technology actually matters, and sometimes you can have an advantage that um, the market has not realized yet, for example, a core technological advantage, and the market does not price it at that until the technology is deployed, but you can get in potentially before the technology is deployed and that's the growth potential for a growth stock. Mm -hmm. So um, in that way, and he talks about stocks a lot, so um, yeah.
1: Is he a YouTuber? Yep. Oh, definitely. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for uh, for that recommendation. Now, I got to ask the final question, man. What was your percent return on Tesla? Yeah, uh,
0: I mean, I I haven't really uh, kind of counted it all. Oh, it's that good. It's not no, no, good. No, no, no. Let okay, me guess.
1: No. You don't you don't even count it in percentage. You just count it in X's. How many times your money doubled, right?
0: But <laughs> <laughs> let, let let's just say uh, I've slightly exceeded. Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with the return because I've slightly exceeded what it would have been if I was in 100% Tesla stock um, okay. and the reason why I'm happy even though I slightly exceeded that is because for the risk that I was risking I thought it was an, an excellent return because I was able to take part in the wild run-up um, but limit my risk with options option. but That's but it cool. was roughly as if I was holding the stock
1: you were holding it awesome awesome well Chad. This has been great. I think this is the longest episode yet. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's just awesome talking to you. It's a very interesting
1: conversations every time. Awesome. Awesome. Well, see you soon, man. Okay. Hello. Hope you enjoyed that episode. You can support the show by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and leaving a review. We're also on YouTube if you'd like to watch us smile and laugh as you listen. Also subscribe to my premium newsletter at ToulouseNotes.com, that's T-O-L-U-S-N-O-T-E-S.com for timeless lessons for young investors. See you next week.